0: Lord, we praise you for the cross. We, we give you thanks for the, the empty tomb. And Lord, so as we gather together in this festival with, with Christians from all over the world, um, God, we just pray that you would be glorified. We thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. And we ask, Lord, that it would not just be for us, but it would be for this community, Lord, that your kingdom would be known here, that your name would be glorified, Lord, we, we just want to be a people who are earnestly seeking you, so help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen, amen. So um, today we're gonna do something a little different than usual for Palm Sunday. And and instead of jumping into the traditional story of the crowds waving palms, we're gonna be pressing, continuing to press into our series on John's gospel. Um, If you're joining with us for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome to you. I'm so glad that you are here. You've jumped into the midst of our our year long series uh, of John. And and our lesson this morning uh, comes to us five chapters before Palm Sunday five chapters before Palm Sunday. Uh, but if that's a letdown for you, don't give up on me yet. Hear me out. Uh, this passage gives us a really unique perspective on what went right and what went wrong on Palm Sunday. On what went right and what went wrong on that first Palm Sunday. In fact, our lesson this morning almost um, foreshadows what was to come. Uh, so with God's word open, I want us to look at Palm Sunday from a completely different angle this morning. And to do that, we're gonna use scripture to understand scripture. And here's what I want us to focus on. This is the title of my sermon. We're gonna look at roots, thirst, and water. Say it with me. Roots, thirst, and water. Let me pray for God's word and then we'll open it up. God, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. We know that you do. We thank you that this is a living and active word. We pray, God, that it would change us, shape us, make us, and mold us. Lord, more into the likeness of you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. So John 7, 37 to 52. Let's hear now God's word. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. When the people heard these words, some of them said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed." Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arrives from Galilee. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So there's four accounts of this famous scene that we call Palm Sunday in the scriptures, right? And as I said, our our lesson this morning is not one of them, but you can find the story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one of them details how this triumphal entry into Jerusalem went down. And three of those four accounts were told the crowds had brought out branches and palms and leaves and waved them in celebration for this rumored king. You know the story. And the reason for this party, remember, is that the crowds for years had been longing for someone to save them. At that time, the citizens of Jerusalem had been under this iron fist of Rome, right? And they figured that this man who's now riding into town was the one who would lead them in a revolution. And so they cried out, Hoshanah, Hosanna!" that the Hebrew literally means save us. The reason for this, this hope was that if Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead, as the rumors had been told, then certainly Christ would destroy the Roman occupation. And so in this early celebration, they bring out the palms to welcome their new warrior to town. Not the savior from their sin, but the savior from the empire. They called him the son of David. They perceived him as heaven sent. Many even named him a prophet as they thought was to come. History will tell you this practice of celebration was nothing new. Palm branches had been used to celebrate military victories for centuries. In the Maccabean Revolt, uh, there's actually documentation of the people waving the exact same kind of branches in victory. We learned a few weeks ago how every year during the Festival of Tents or Tabernacles, as it was called, the, the Israelites would take those same kind of branches and palms and they would build makeshift shelters to commemorate their ancestors wandering in the wilderness. Palms were always a sign of festivals and celebration and triumph. And yet here's where roots and thirst and water comes in. It seems to me that despite the thirst of this crowd, they had rooted their hopes not in salvation from sin, but in a revolution against the Roman Empire. Let me say that again. It seems to me despite the thirst of this crowd, they had rooted their hopes not in salvation from sin, but in a revolution against Rome. In our scripture lesson this morning, long before Jesus has come into Jerusalem riding on this donkey, he teaches a lesson about roots and thirst and water. Look at this in verse 37 up on your screens. On the last day of this feast, the the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. See, Jesus knew long before Palm Sunday ever went down that the people around him were thirsting for something, right? He knew they wanted change. He, he knew of their desperation. He knew they wanted, they wanted something different for their lives and where they put their roots mattered. So let's talk about roots for a minute. I figured let's, let's keep things relevant and uh, let's talk about the roots of a palm tree this morning. Can we do that? Look at this up on your screens. Palm roots are unlike any other tree roots in the world. Most trees, as you know, they have one main root system with offshoots that go and search for water, but palm trees play it different. They have thousands of roots that spread out like a mat, as you can see. Some trees have upwards of 5,000 roots holding them in place. And most of those roots don't go any deeper than 36 inches of soil. When it comes to hurricanes and dry climates, they say each root gathers the soil around the tree like rebar wood with concrete, and they form this anchor of of wet sand that not only sustains the life of the tree, but also holds it down as that anchor in the midst of a storm. So these crowds on this Palm Sunday, right, they were walking the streets of Jerusalem thirsting for something. Their roots were looking for something. They wanted change. They realized their lives were empty. They, they were tired of status quo under the Roman regime. And yet they were so caught up in their politics and expectations that they had missed the real reason for this king. Their roots were all scattered up. Jesus had already taught the city if they would have just put their faith in him, their lives would be overflowing with life. Look at this in verse 38. Long before this fateful day, he said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's a really unique invitation, isn't it? Whatever it is that you thirst for, Jesus says, if you'd just come to me, out of your heart would flow floods of water. Which begs the question, ask this with me. What is it that you long for? What is it that you thirst after? We all have something. Maybe we ask it a bit different. Um, What about this? What are you dissatisfied with in your life right now? When you look in the mirror, what is missing? See, what amazes me about this passage is that Jesus was super generic about this idea of thirst, right? He doesn't define what what it is at all. There's no explanation of what thirst is. He just says, if you are thirsty, come to me. So I think step one before we even get to Easter Sunday is to ask that question, what do you thirst for? Now, I feel like we spend most of our lives desperately trying to be happy, right? Like of all the things that we chase after, that's that's probably the main thing within this room. That's the American dream. Think about the last vacation you took or the last movie you watched, the last thing you ate or drank, the last thing you splurged on. It was probably wrapped up in your desire for happiness. And Jesus knows better than anyone that all of us are thirsting after something, are we not? Every moment of every day. So what is it? Is it more time? More money? Deeper relationships? More relevance or respect? Is it more intimacy or forgiveness? Peace, reconciliation, rest, healing? You know, within our society, we're told on a daily basis, our lives are not good enough, right? We are not enough. We're bombarded with these messages that we need something more. We need to be something more, do something more, have something more. And in that manufactured thirst, if we're not careful, we'll grab onto anything. But what I love about this passage and what I love about Jesus is that instead of judging your cravings, he just meets you right where you are. He says, let's put this on the screens. If you thirst for something, whatever it is, that longing within you is ultimately an invitation to come to me. Here's how I see it. Palm Sunday is all about roots and thirst and water. Imagine with me just the the dust that would be kicked up in the streets as Jesus rode into town. And the people shouting with this hopeful intensity, right? They're longing for freedom and autonomy. They're thirsting for something more to this life, more than what they see in front of them. And they see this man on a donkey, right? And by all accounts, it seems that for some reason, somehow they are now convinced they're gonna go to war. They completely miss this, this fact that the Messiah isn't on a stallion or a, a war horse meant for general. He's on a baby burrow. Think about that. Nonetheless, the crowd wants what it wants. And yet, if you rewind back to our lesson now, long before that moment in Jerusalem, there is this forewarning where Jesus taught this this same thirsting crowd, whatever it is that you're craving, what you really need is me. I've got two two little girls and um, last summer, I I went camping with them up to the Beartooth, and we landed at this spot this great spot right next to a water pump. And so I'd asked the girls, I said, hey, go and fetch a pail of water for me. I'm gonna get everything out of the car and get the tent set up. You know how it goes, tent mats, sleeping bags, the, the like. And I looked up, right as I, was, uh, as I was setting the tent up, I looked up to, to see both of the girls were furiously pumping this handle back and forth on the water spout. It was the kind where you just need to do this once and it would come out. And I thought about intervening, but I figured, that's keeping them busy. I can get my work done. We'll just let it happen. (laughs) But I kid you not, not two minutes passed by before I hear this scream of agony and despair. And I, I turn around and my littlest Addie, three years old, she's thrown herself to the ground, knees in the dirt, face up to the heavens, and she's crying aloud. So I calmly walked up to her. I said, what's the drama? She said, we keep pumping and there's no water coming out. Now, Taylor, my five-year-old at the time, she's the eternal optimist, and she's still furiously pumping, right? Like, it's gonna. I looked down, and just below the pump was this wooden sign with the words, out of order. I told the girls, I said, this one's broken. We're gonna have to go down and find another one. I'm convinced Addie, at that moment, thought I had tricked her. She doubled down. She's screaming, my day is ruined. But here's why I share that story. Like, I feel like that's how we go about our days, right? We know the well is dry, whatever it is. And yet in our craving and in our thirst, we just go pumping at it anyway. And we have this misplaced hope that somehow our yearning will be quenched if we just pump harder. Life will be good again. Soon the water will flow. And yet Jesus gives us this really important piece of wisdom this morning. He says, if you're thirsty, whatever it is that you're craving, maybe what you're really missing out on life is me. Roots, thirst, water. See, I'm convinced whether, whether you've never given your life to Christ or you're a sold out believer, this one is for all of us. Because for decades, we've been bombarded over and over again by these, these marketing schemes that capitalize on that gap, right? Right? They sell us what we're thirsting for. Your fulfillment will be found if you just spend it. The gap that's most obvious that first comes to my mind in in light of this passage is Gatorade, right? We've been taught for years, if you just have one sip, your thirst will be quenched. Or all of us, we know the the greatest marketing scheme of, of Snickers is what? Satisfaction. The words written on the candy bar every time. And I could go on, but you missed the point. See, do you ever notice though how shallow the promises of this life really are? Like even the best promises that are made for us, they typically only give us what we want, which at first you might think, well, so what? That's, that's good, isn't it? Except for it's Groundhog Day. Every day we wake up and we think again about our cravings. We chase again after those longings. Whatever it is without Christ, it's empty again. It's why we hear stories of people all the time who made it in life. And yet, somehow, in the midst of the fame and the the fortune, they're still miserable. How is that? And yet, Jesus comes in with this different angle this morning, right? He says, If you put your faith in me, I'll not only quench your thirst, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Just picture that with me for a minute, right? You wanted a little rain, I gave you a flood. You wanted a drop, now your cup overflows. You wanted a taste, here, here's a waterfall. See, the crowds on that first Palm Sunday, they wanted freedom from their oppressors, right? They wanted to be saved from their enemy. It was was this thirst for a revolution. And yet, pardon my cheesiness, but Jesus was planning something far more revolutionary. Who could imagine that the salvation that was coming for humankind, they couldn't have even begun to understand the riches of God's mercy and grace and love soon poured out. Let me tell you a piece of horticulture that you'll never use in Bozeman, Montana. They say the best way to care for a palm, a palm tree, is by something called deep soaking. If you water a palm just once a week, that's not enough. The the leaves will dry out and die. If you water the the palm a lot from the top, you'll actually sunburn the leaves and that also will kill the plant. So they say the best method is a, a soaker hose. Slow and steady. Drip, drip, drip. And as the the soil around it is is permeated with nutrients and water, the the roots will eventually take hold. Everybody got the image? Okay, hold on to it. We're going to come back to it. Let me explain how this concept represents life. When Christ was talking about water and thirst, he was talking about the Holy Spirit and our faith. Look at this in verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When you put your faith in Christ, right? Jesus makes us this promise that you now live with the Holy Spirit within you. That moment that Jesus was glorified, now the promise is fulfilled. So far, we've talked about what it is to thirst. And then we've talked about what it is to put our roots in Christ. But let's talk for a minute about water. Water is life, right? Without it, nothing else is is possible. Without it, we aren't sustained. We spend millions to send rovers to Mars, and of all the things they're looking for, what is the holy grail? Water. It's fascinating to me. You know, the New York Times recently reported that a gallon of certain bottled waters now costs us more than a gallon of gasoline. Just think about that for a minute. But what Jesus wants us to see is that just as water is used in in the temple for purification and cleansing, so now the gift of the Holy Spirit would soon bring us life. Just as water gives us nourishment and replenishes and quenches our thirst, now the Holy Spirit would not only satisfy but overwhelm us when we trust in him. See, that man riding into Jerusalem in the the palm branch parade, he would soon be the one now pierced, hanging on a cross for our sin. Not in war against Rome, because he wasn't battling the empire. No, he went to war against sin, against evil, against the evil one, conquered it. And as they pierced his side, what came out? Blood and water. See, for Christ, it's it's not about the glass being half empty or half full. That, Now, Jesus says, by his death and resurrection will come water that is overflowing like a river. The Holy Spirit gives us that kind of abundant and eternal and everlasting life. So whatever it is that you're craving for, here's what God's word wants to show us this week. Your fulfillment is in him. Whatever it is you've been starving for, your satisfaction is now in him. Really practical example, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, there's no reason to get drunk on wine anymore. Those days are gone. All you need now is the Holy Spirit. Everybody still got the image of the soaker hose in their mind? Okay. There's an anonymous author who wrote a book years ago called Embracing Obscurity. Just think about that. Anonymous author writes a book called Embracing Obscurity. Isn't that clever? And he he talks about his habits of watering his garden. He said, you know, most days I grab the hose and I spray where I want and when I want. I hit the tomatoes and then the beans. Then I move over to the jalapenos and the onions. He said, I can discriminate who gets what water based on however I feel in the moment. And when I'm done, I can turn the hose off, grab a soda and go back inside. And he makes this really good point about our lives. He says, you know, as followers of Christ, we live just like that. Depending on, on the mood or how well our day is going or even how we slept the night before, we, we might give a little bit of discriminate love here and there from Jesus. When we feel like it or, or even worse, when we don't, maybe we've had a bad day and we just shut it off. We can go inside. But here's the problem with that style of watering, right? Our faith should be less like a sprinkler and more like a soaker hose with our lives just dripping, oozing with Christ's love, so much so that wherever we land, whoever we meet, they experience the same living water now overflowing in us. But you can't turn the water on without first giving your life to him. That water that Jesus speaks of this morning, that, that water that's overflowing from the human heart, it does so for the singular purpose that others would receive now the same blessing through us. The Holy Spirit now dwelling within those who believe now overflows and seeps like a soaker hose into the lives of those who don't. Roots, thirst, water. See, when we wave those palms in the air, it's not just about Jesus saving us, it's about Christ saving them. It's not just about what we want and our own desires, our own craving and thirst. Now when we put our roots in him, now we live our lives in such a way that a discontented world might see not just our contentment, but our abundance in him. The crowds on that Palm Sunday morning, right? They were longing to be set free and yet they missed the shackles of their own sin on their own shoulders. The outcome they so desperately thirsted for was nothing compared to the living water that Christ had for them. So here's my takeaway. Let me land the plane. You can search the world over a million times and you will never, ever, ever fill your life as Jesus can. Whatever it is that you're longing for, Easter week reminds us Christ is not only enough, he's more than enough. What is it that you thirst for? Where have you been putting down your roots in search for that water? And did you know that if you come to him, your life would overflow in ways you can't even imagine? I found this prayer in Psalm 63 years ago and I I feel like it's my prayer for for life. I thought we'd close with it this morning. I just wanna invite you to close your eyes and just hear this, this prayer as I pray this over us. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. God, we, we confess we are a parched people, Lord. We chase after things to, to quench our thirst all the time. Lord, things that are definitely bad, things that look good but aren't quite right. God, we we escape life through our, our phones and TVs. Lord, we don't have to think about reality when we overwork and we try to fulfill our our lives and the things that we do or say. God, we long for that, that holy grail of success. And yet, Lord, we're reminded this morning, whatever it is that we thirst for, you are the one who not only quenches it, but gives us an abundant cup overflowing from our hearts, a river flooding. God, would you help us to chase after you again this morning? Lord, as we look to a holy week, God, keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.